Listen, guys, this morning is the beginning, as I said earlier, of our Advent season. And, and uh, Advent is the season of waiting, and it's also that season of celebration where what we're waiting for is the second coming of Christ. We celebrate His first coming as we long for Him to return and to set all things right. Amen? Anybody ready for some things to be set right? I mean, goodness gracious. And so uh, that's, what, that's what we're longing for here in this Christmas season. We're waiting. We're, we're longing. We're, we're meant to almost agonize for Jesus' return. And, uh, and one of the ways that we do that is by every morning uh, that we gather publicly for worship, we, we celebrate um, and we remember kind of one aspect of Christ's character. And so uh, this morning, uh, the first Sunday of Advent is, is we're going to light a candle here in a second. And, and we're gonna, it's called the Hope Candle. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the hope that we can find in Jesus. And so uh, I'm going to ask uh, Doug and Gail Rawlings to come, and they're going to um, start our Advent see, uh, season with reading of Scripture and the lighting of our Advent candle. This is uh, Luke 2, 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Pray with me. Father God, prepare our hearts this Advent season for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. For we want the fervent hope that is in Christ Jesus. We want others to see the hope we have in Jesus. We thank you that you sent your beloved divine Son in such humble surroundings to redeem us and show us your great love. We thank you that we can live and hope daily, knowing that our precious Jesus has restored us to you and has given us eternal life. We love you, Lord God, and worship as we again celebrate the birth of our Savior. Amen. It is Advent season, and, uh, and, and listen, as your staff, I want you to know that we understand what Christmas is like, right? It's difficult. 
We, we as Christians, we know what the reason for the season is, but let's just be honest. Hallmark movies call our name. Uh, we, we, you know, we're like the rest of you. We like to decorate and drink hot cocoa and sit around fireplaces and, and sing Christmas carols and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, we've been, in fact, the staff, when we decorated on Tuesday, they're just jamming out. All, I mean, Franklin's been singing since, since like Halloween. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of been ridiculous. And so and we realize that Christmas can be, it can be difficult, right? It, it, it's so easy to get swept up in it, and and kind of we, we just we just finished Black Friday and and uh, Cyber Monday is around the corner, and all the and it just it's easy to get caught up in all the consumerism of it. It's easy to miss what Christmas is really all about. So here's what we want to do for every family that shows up, for every rooftop that is here. Uh, if you join us during the Christmas season, you get a free copy of this book. And uh, so that's our gift to you. At the end of the service, we're going to ask you to come down. and It's, it's one per rooftop, okay? That's how it works. Uh, but, but we're going to give this gift to you. And um, what it is, it's a devotional. It starts today on December 1st. And so on December 1st, you begin reading today. Uh, each night, we ask you to gather as a family and to read. It's about three pages. Uh, it'll take you all of five minutes. And then you can, you can just talk. It's got some questions at the end of each chapter that you can just ask one another. You can ask family members. You say, I, I live all alone. Call your friend. Uh, just call your friend. Talk about it. Just talk about the book. And, and the whole reason is what it does is in the midst of the busyness and craziness that, that we've come to accept as Christmas, it lets us remember what Christmas is really all about. Is that cool? All right, so what are you going to do at the end of the service? You're going to come up here and get a copy of the book. One per rooftop, okay? So we're glad you're with us. We can't wait to share that with you. Guys, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. And you may think this is not the most Christmas uh, celebratory passage, but I, I hope to prove you wrong. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, also known as the genealogy of Jesus which sounds like a great passage to preach, amen? Uh, and so uh, let me prove you wrong this morning. Um, we're going to start with a word of prayer. And then I, I, guys, I, I, I honestly believe this. As I kind of went through the genealogy this week, I think there's a lesson in here that, that's, that's pretty powerful if, if we can grasp it. And so um, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to butcher every name, okay? So uh, I'm just going to tell you, I, I did not go through and listen to all the names uh, the proper way they're supposed to be pronounced. I'm going to give you the Texas version, and uh, we're going to get through it together. It's going to be okay, but join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the word of God. Father, thank you for your word. Um, we know that it is true. We know that it's right. Um, Holy Spirit, in this church, we recognize you as our teacher. Um, you're our guide. And, and you were given to, to be just that, to be our teacher and our guide. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask that you would come now in a very special way, in a special manifestation. The Word of God promises when two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus that you're here and, and that you're working. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and lift up and magnify Jesus. Let us see him in this text in a brand new light um, that, that it makes us want him even more. Set our hearts ablaze. Um, God, we, we, we just confess that we need you this morning. Uh, to come and open our eyes to the truths of God's word. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. So guys, I'm in Matthew uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first 17 verses, and it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
it says, okay, I know this seems a little bit like numbers, okay, but it's, it's worth it. Let's just get through it. So this is what it says. It says, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Abminadab, Abminadab fathered uh, Nahshon, Nahshon fathered Salmon, Salmon, uh, some of you call that salmon, I know, but it's, I'm... I'm going with Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Okay? Now, David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. That would be Bathsheba. Uh, Solomon fathered Reboam. Uh, Reboam. Uh, Reboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered uh, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered uh, Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abuid. Abuid fathered Elikim. Elikim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eloid. Eloid fathered Eliezer. Eliezer fathered Matan. Matan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. And you say, wow, that was electrifying, right? Why would we start the Christmas season by reading a list of names, what, what, is it, what does that have to do with Christmas? What does that have to do with Advent? What does it have to do with, with hope, right? What is, the, what is the point of reading a list of names to kick off Christmas? And, and I, I hope to share with you uh, kind of the point. And to do that, I'm going to walk uh, through the, these names with you just very brief. I, we're, we're only going to get into like the first seven verses. How about that? I'll make you a deal. We won't go through all of them, all right? But let's just talk about what we know about some of these people that are listed in, in the genealogy of Jesus. And by the way, you're lucky. Um, I only have one point this morning, okay? So just, just so you know, I did not try to make 20 points out of the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, so here, here's what I know. So verse 2, Abraham, right? That's where it all begins. So, so the, the point, now, now listen, uh, Matthew is the most, most Jewish of all the gospel writers. This is the thoroughly Jewish gospel, and he's writing to Jews, and he's trying to prove that Jesus, Jesus is indeed the Messiah, and so he starts with Abraham. Abraham, your father, you Jews, this is how Jesus relates to Abraham. So he's going to try to show this, and so he says, Abraham, the father of Isaac. And what do we know about Abraham. Oh, we know Abraham was a great man of faith, right? That's where we began. That's why they call him Father Abraham. He was the father of many nations. And so uh, God shows up to Abraham, and he establishes a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, if you follow me and you do what I say, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And this is the establishment of the old covenant. And so Abraham, uh, who was Abram at the time, by faith, God says, I want you to get up and go where I'm going to tell you to go. And the Bible says, by faith, Abram gets up. 
He gets his whole family. He says, that's it, we're out of here. And he goes, and he leaves, not even knowing where he's supposed to go. And this is why Abraham, like, this is a great man of faith. So we know Abraham's this great man of faith, right? He believed in the promise of God. But we also know, because we've read the Bible, we know some other things about Abraham. Yes, he was a great man of faith, but he was a great man of faith who often took things into his own hands, right? He's a great man of faith that at times was guilty of running ahead of God. None of you have ever done that, right? And so he takes the promise of God. He says, God, you promised me a son. And, and so he and Sarah are like, we're not having kids. We're getting older. You know what? Well, let's take matters into our own hands. And so he goes and he sleeps with his wife's servant, right? So we know that's Abraham. We also know Abraham is a guy that at, at one point lies. You know, I'm sure he lied at multiple points, but at one point in Scripture, he actually uh, tells people that his wife is not his wife, but his wife is his sister, right? So Sarah's just my, my sister. And so we, we know this about Abraham. We know that uh, Abraham's character traits got passed on to Isaac. That Isaac, who, who by the way, is the one uh, through whom all the promises of God come in. And listen, I, I'm not trying to just bad. I mean, Abraham had had the faith to raise the knife. He believed that even if he killed his son Isaac, that God would resurrect him, right? But but listen, th- these are the truths of Scripture. And so then we have Isaac. Isaac is is the promised one. He is the one through whom all of the blessings of God uh, promised unto Israel are going to come. Right? He's the promised one of God. And you know what he does? He does the same thing his dad does. He lies. Uh, when he's in a foreign country and he says, no, that's not my wife, that's my sister. His wife gets taken in to basically be a concubine, right? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. All because, now, God works all that out, but, but he, he, same, same problem. And, and then let's talk about Jacob, right? What does Jacob do? Well, he's, he's a schemer too. So, right, he's, he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna steal uh, his, his brother's birthright, Basically, and you may not call that theft, but you know, I mean, Esau had some issues if he all wanted that bowl of stew that bad. And, and, and you know, and, and so, so he, he gets his brother's birthright, but then, and then what does he do? He schemes with his mom and he steals his brother's blessing, right? So we know about Jacob. These are people, I, listen, listen, I'm only in, I'm Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob. I'm at the very beginning of verse 2. Just talking about the, these people, right? And then it says this. We go on. So, so Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And what do we know about Tamar? Now, this is interesting. So Tamar married a man, and uh, the man that she married died. And, and so her father-in-law, get this, her father-in-law was a guy named Judah. And so her father-in-law, uh, based on, on kind of their, the way they did life, their traditions, uh, gave her to one of her brother-in-laws to be married. Now, here's the deal. She had originally married the oldest son of, of, of this guy. So the oldest son of Judah, she married, that's who she married. So if she had a child, that child was going to be heir. Right? So when she is then given to her brother-in-law, who is younger than the one that died, if she has a child with him, then her child is actually in her husband's name, not in her current, in her, her dead husband's name. You see? So if this guy has a kid with her, he loses his heirship. So the Bible gets into details. I won't share them all with you. But he practices a measure of birth control. And refuses to let her get pregnant. And so her father-in-law calls her cursed. So you want to know what Tamar does? She finds out that her father-in-law is going to town one day. And she disguises herself as a prostitute. Sleeps with her father-in-law. Becomes pregnant with two twins. 
This is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Okay? Just, just, I'm, I'm just walking you through. Now, and guys, we've made it all the way to verse 3. Okay? Now, we, we work on I'm just trying to help you out. And so then it says, uh, it says now verse 5, if you don't mind. So, so Sa- Salmon, I'm, I'm sticking with Salmon. It's not Salmon. Uh, it can't be Salmon. It just, it's fishy. Uh, so, so, come on. I worked on that one all week. Uh, Salmon fathered Boaz. Okay, Salmon fathered Boaz, who, by the way, Boaz is going to be the kinsman redeemer of, of Ruth. But fathered Boaz through who? Rahab. Rahab, right? So what do we know about Rahab? So Rahab, as Joshua is, 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 is going to, you know, they're, they're going to invade. Uh, they're going to invade the city. And, and so Rahab is there in Jericho. Uh, and every time she's mentioned, it tells us. Now, now listen, she is lauded. Uh, she's actually in Hebrews chapter 11. She is lauded for uh, hiding the Israelite spies so that they're not killed. But every time it mentions her name, it also mentions her occupation. She is a prostitute. And we're reminded over and over and over that that's who she is. Then we get to Ruth. What what about Ruth? Well, Ruth is a foreigner, right? She's an alien. Build that wall. Um, I'm just telling you, those of you that you want to get political, man, let's get biblical, right? And so here's a foreigner to the covenant. This is a foreigner to the promise, right? That's that's who this is. This is an alien to to the the whole covenant of God. And this foreigner, this alien, when her husband dies, pledges allegiance to her mother-in-law in in such a, a gracious way. says, listen, man, where you go, I will go. Who you serve, I was. Your God is going to be my God. And God blesses that and ultimately brings a kinsman redeemer. And that kinsman redeemer is going to redeem her and Naomi so that they're not impoverished, so that they don't die. Then we move on from Ruth, and eventually uh, we get there to to Jesse, uh, verse 6. And Jesse fathered King David. That's the guy. Man after God's own heart, right? King David, the greatest king in in Israel's history. And some would argue, no, that's Solomon. No, Solomon was the richest, and he... Scripture says he was the wisest, but anybody that has a thousand women in his life, I, I've got to question his wisdom. <laughs> Ladies, I love you. I'm not trying to say anything there, but dude had 700 wives, like, and then 300, like, not smart. And, and, and so you get to David, and David, a man after God's own heart. David is the giant slayer, right? Yeah, David, the young shepherd boy with, with five smooth stones, although he only needed one, and he slays that great giant, cuts off his head, right? David, King David. But what do we know about David? The man after God's own heart, right? He commits adultery. He lies about it when he gets semi-caught in lie. He, he, he kills somebody, and he lies about that until the prophet Nathan shows up and said, hey, homie, that's not cool. That's, you're that guy. So we know David, like, this is the man after God's own heart. We get David, and of course, and then it then mentions, and then David has Solomon, uh, it's, and it even says, by Uriah's wife. A God just reminding us all, by the way, that was another dude's wife, just in case you know. So Bathsheba is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And you're going, these are the people of God. 
Solomon, wisest guy on earth, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I, I mean, it's, 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 even in all of his wisdom, women were his downfall. And listen, I, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, so what? What on earth does this have to do with me? What on earth does this have to do with Christmas, this thing called Advent? What on earth does this have to do with hope? Right? That's the candle. That's, that's the theme this morning. What, what on earth does a genealogy have to do with hope? We see people, their lives, history really, is, is never really cut and dry, is it? I know we live in a cancel culture where everybody's trying to make everything cut and dry, but, but like people just aren't that way. People aren't cut and dry. I said this to my youngest son the other day. He's working on an English report this weekend that's due. You know, thank you, teachers. I'm so glad you gave him homework over Thanksgiving break. And uh, so he's reading this book, and he's got this book report done. And he has to write down the character traits of the main character of the book. And the main character of the book uh, is supposed to be a good guy, but he's a good guy that steals stuff. He's like, Dad, I don't know. I, I, like, I feel like I'm supposed to write about the good things, but he's not, he's, not, he's not really a good guy. And I said, well, guess what? That's life. Right? That, 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 that's life. See, see, nobody in life, no one's life is made up of just one note. You know what I'm saying? I, I preached a funeral once. I said this, and, and so it was a, a funeral, somebody that we knew and loved around here, and, and, uh, and, and, and that person could be a little harsh occasionally, but you're also a really good person. And so like, like life is never made up of one note. Our life is really a symphony made up of all kinds of notes. And some of those notes are great. And some of those notes are really, really bad. And, and that's kind of the complexity of life. But the point is this, God is able to use all of it for his glory. So I read this article this week, uh, and, and I love what this guy said. I'm just going to read it to you, and I'm going to make my point, and we're going to close. And, and, and uh, Robert Maloney said this about, about this text. He says, history is not a linear series of events leading to predictable outcomes. Just let that sink in for a second. History is not a linear series of events that lead to predictable outcomes. It involves sin and conversion, success and failure, heroes and villains. He goes on to say, but God is at work in it, making crooked ways straight and rough ways smooth. And ultimately, God's love prevails, a truth revealed in the person in the life of Jesus. Right? So here's, here's my point this morning. Just one point. Why, we start, why, why do you start with the book of Matthew? Why do you start the Christmas season by reading the genealogy of Jesus and telling us about all these people? Because I think there's one point that we need to nail down in our lives, and, and it's this. When we talk about hope, ready? Here it is. There is hope for us, right? So if you're writing it down, I put me because I want you to personalize it. There is hope for me. That's what you need to walk away from this morning. When you read the genealogy of Jesus, if you walk away with one thing, it's there's hope for you, right? There, there's, there's hope for, for me, right? There's, there's hope for, for my past. There's hope for my mistakes. There's hope for my failures. There's hope for my fears. God can use you in spite of you. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? Anybody walk in this morning? Perfect. It was Thanksgiving. You guys killed it this week, right? There was no gluttony. That's one of the seven deadly sins. None of that, right? Come on. We don't like to talk about gluttony anymore. That's an Old Testament sin, right? Overindulgence. 
what does the gospel say to people like us? What is, anybody have a past they don't want to talk about? Anybody had some problems? Like, like listen, it's easy in society. Like, like, it's easy to read through this and go, well, yeah, man, Bathsheba. Gosh, look how public that was. That harlot. You pick on Tamar. Oh, I cannot believe she would do that. I mean, she, she was in a corrupt system. Right? Who, who do you want to pick on? What about Rahab, that prostitute? Dude, I didn't even get into all the guys in here. I mean, I, like, I'm, I'm not, I, I just wanted to stop at verse 7. We, we read on some of the worst kings in, in, in Israel's history come after that. And what does all that say? Well, what it says is, like, God can use anyone. By the way, a lot of the people in, in this list of names also end up in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And what all that says to me is this, Ready? God can use me. God can use all my past mistakes. He can use all my failures. He can use the times that I fall flat on my face. And listen to me, not just the times I used to. He can use the times I'm gonna. Because I'm gonna. I I don't know what kind of pastor you're expecting, but I'm going to tell you, this guy is going to flop every once in a while. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So what do we do with that? When we understand that, like, by the way, this is the gospel. Right? This is the beauty of the gospel. That God doesn't require perfection. He's not looking for you to have it all together. He's the God that says, no, I've got it all together. And, and in having, like, have you ever seen those paintings that are, they're, they're really made up of a million little pictures and then they, they make a big portrait? Have you ever seen those? They're really cool, right? I mean, you can go kind of Google that and it's, it's like a picture of Mount Rushmore and it's got a thousand little tiny pictures in it that make it up, right? And if you were to really like zoom in on some of those pictures, those are really bad pictures. You're like, I mean, and there's somebody in that picture that like, like, you know, the guy's got his eyes closed or he's not smiling or the kids are screaming. Like, like there's going to be some bad pictures in that. And yet they're used to make this magnificent, glorious picture. Listen, and God does that with us. He uses all the moments in our life, the good ones and the bad ones, and he somehow weaves all those together into a beautiful portrait that shows us his love, that shares his glory with the world. So what I'm telling you this Christmas season is, listen, I don't know how you feel about yourself, but I could bet that you don't think you're killing it. I could bet that more than one of you walked through the doors this morning with a thought in your mind that there's no way that God could really use you. There's no way that God could really redeem you. There's no way that God could use you in the midst of what you're going through right now or what you've been through in the past. There's no way that God, and, and, and man, it runs the gamut. I, I run into this. I, we, we've, got, we've got a lot of single moms in our church, and you'd be shocked how many single moms just feel like there's no hope for them. We've got a lot of widows in our church, and, 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 and same thing. I, God can't use me now. I, I, mean, I mean, the best part of me is gone. How can I ever recover? How, we've got people that have been through some really ugly divorces. They, they admit on, on, their, on their behalf, like, hey, I, I messed up. But, but they, they feel unredeemable. God can't use me. God can't fix it. We've got people that have been through massive addiction problems, right? And, and, and whether, whether that's substance, whether that's pornography, pornography I, mean, I mean, you name it, and, and, and listen, and they walk through the doors. We've got people that come to church here regularly, and some of them, it's been so public that a jury and a judge put them in jail, okay? 
Like, we have those people in this church. And, and those people walk through our doors every Sunday. And, and they, they hear the same voice that you hear in the morning. And that voice is the voice of the enemy that tells you one of two things. Either one, he tells you, you're killing it and you don't need God. Or he tells you, you are not good enough. There's no way God could love you. There's no way God could use you. There's no way God could want you. And you know what Christmas reminds us of? <laughs> Do you know what the birth of Jesus reminds us of? That is a lie from the devil. God uses people just like you and me. That's his choice. That's what he chooses to do. And so, so what, what, what I hope Advent reminds you of, we, we talk about hope, is that there is hope for you this morning. Maybe that's the first time you've heard that, that you can recover you can make it. There's hope for you. And so I, I'm going to give you one application point. I'm going to let you go. And here it is. Ready? Uh, so what do you do when you understand that God can use you? Uh, well, you, you, you give yourself to him. So how do, I, how do I do that? Well, I mean, some people, you know, pray a prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life, right? Um, some of you have already prayed that prayer, though, and you're still feeling like God can't use you. And so um, I'm going I'm to throw out a new prayer that you might be able to pray this morning. Ready? Okay, here it goes. Jesus, here I am. I don't feel worthy. But today, I pray, if, if you're this God that can take mistakes and do something with them, I pray that you would take my past. I pray that you would take my present. And I pray that you would take my future and that you would make it yours. Okay? So would you join me in a word of prayer this Christmas season? Wouldn't that be a good way to start out Christmas with a little hope? That your story is not finished. Amen? Amen. Join me in a word of prayer this morning. Dear Jesus, God, here we stand collectively. And for every soul that's hurting, for everyone that came through the doors this morning, and they're just struggling. And they're struggling to see you. They're struggling to feel your love. They're struggling to feel forgiven. They feel the weight of their sin, of their past, of their current difficult situation and they just feel unworthy Jesus right here right now would you just speak to their heart would you just bend down and whisper in their ear I love you I love you I love all of you I love you not because of what you do. I love you not because of your record. Your record's not great. I love you because you are my child. That's who you are. So yeah, you have failed, but you are not a failure. Yeah, you have fallen. But that's your, not your final destination. You are my child. So, get up. Stand up. Face forward. Head up. We're not finished yet. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans? of hope and a future. So put your trust in me. So seek me 
with all of your heart. And I will be enough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.